Let's pray and ask God to meet us in the word this morning. Lord, thank you for this good, good time we've had already, for worship, for the Garcia's sharing, for all that you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And I, I just pray for your help now for me as I preach, that you would just make my heart what, what, what you'd want it to be and give me clarity of mind and help me to be in accord with your word and give us all hearts that are like good soil, like you taught Jesus, that they receive the seed and that there would be fruit born because of what we study this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 50. That's where we'll be this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd like to bring one to you. Special delivery right here, so go ahead and raise your hand if you need one. And we want you all to be able to have a Bible you can open up and study along with us as we study this passage. Isaiah 50 is on page 611 in these Bibles that we're passing out. A little bit of background, Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet, which meant that he was specially gifted by God to receive and write truth directly from God, which is why we have his book in the Bible here. So the very words of God given to Isaiah to put down on these pages. And Isaiah chapter 40 through 66, the last uh, third of, of his book, those chapters are specially written to be an encouragement to the nation of Israel when they are in exile in Babylon. And we're going to see that especially the case as we dig into chapter 50. And we're going to focus this morning on verses 4 through 11 of chapter 50, because verses 1 through 3 kind of go with the previous chapter more than with the following. And when you look at verses 4 through 11 and read them, what you find is that God is addressing these verses not to the whole nation of Israel, but to a subgroup within the nation of Israel. To see who that subgroup is, look at verse 10. Isaiah says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servants? So he's talking to people in Israel who are fearing the Lord, obeying the voice of the servant. They're believers. They trust God's mercy. But not just are they believers. Look at what he says then next. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So these verses are written to believers who are walking in the darkness. Now what does that mean? It might be a little confusing. Because usually when we hear the word darkness, as it is often in the Bible, it refers to evil, wickedness, sin. That's not the case here because he's just said he's talking to people who fear the Lord and obey the voice of his servant. They are walking in darkness. What darkness means here is not evil, sin, wickedness. What darkness means here is that they are walking in a time of trials, a time of hardship, a time of difficulty. It's those times when you're, you're walking through difficulty, you know what God has promised, but you're in darkness because you aren't yet seeing the light of his promise fulfilled in your situation. Does that ever happen? And that's exactly what happened with, with Israel when she was in, in exile in Babylon. Okay, Israel had been the envy of the whole world, both by her wisdom, her prosperity, her buildings, her administration, the envy of the whole world. But because she continued in rebellion against God, what did God do? That's like we've, we've heard this morning. God is slow to anger, okay? Which is wonderful, abounding in loving kindness. But in his patience, in his kindness, finally Israel reached the point in her idolatry where God had to punish them as he promised he would if they didn't turn back. And so Babylon came and leveled Jerusalem destroyed the temple, 
killed thousands and thousands of Israelites and took the rest as slaves back to Babylon. And yet God had promised that he was going to bring Israel back to the promised land, that he was going to rebuild the temple, that even, not only that, but through Israel, all the ends of the earth would hear about God's saving work. So all these amazing promises, but there sat Israel in Babylon as slaves. Knowing what God had promised, but still being in the darkness of the hardship of being slaves in Babylon. So the point is, walking in darkness, having no light in this context means walking in the darkness of trials. Knowing what God has promised to do for you, but not yet seeing those promises fulfilled. And every believer in Jesus Christ will have times like that. We all will. For example... We know from the scriptures that, that God promises that as we trust Jesus Christ, he will pour joy into our hearts. I'm thinking of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. But we've all known times when you are fighting the fight of faith, you're setting your heart upon the Lord and his promises and who Jesus is, and yet you, the promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. You're waiting on the Lord, right? So you're in that dark time. The light of the promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. God promises to provide for us finances and jobs and provision. And you might be unemployed right now and not finding work and the money's getting tight. And so you're in the darkness of that trial and God's promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. So you're in, you're walking in darkness. You don't have light. Um, there's times where, you know, God's promised to give us wisdom, right? James 1.5, ask God for wisdom. He will give you wisdom. And yet there's times where you face a decision and you've been praying and asking God for wisdom and the wisdom hasn't been given yet. You're in darkness. Or you know, God promises to deliver us from every trial ultimately, right? And we are still in the trial and the deliverance hasn't come yet. So followers of Jesus go through times when we are in darkness of hardships and trials because we haven't yet seen the deliverance that God promises come. Does that make sense? That's who he's talking to here. Let me give you an illustration. I was reading the story about Dustin and Kelly Schrammick. I don't think any of you know them. I met Dustin years ago. They love Jesus Christ. And when he called them to go to an unreached Muslim people group, they gladly went. And so they moved to this very poor, very desolate country, started to learn the language, got to know the people, started to share the gospel. Then they were overjoyed when God allowed them to get pregnant. So here they are, they're missionaries. She got pregnant. But they were frightened when all of a sudden, very early, she started to go into labor. Very, very early. And so they, they got medevaced out of their country into Istanbul, Turkey, because the country they were in had no facilities for that. And Istanbul, Turkey doesn't have all that great facilities. And and tragically, she, she went ahead and gave birth so early that their, their little son, uh, Owen, uh, when he was born, only lived for 20 minutes. And then he died. And this plunged Dustin and Kelly into a period of darkness. Let me read to you how he described what they experienced. He said, the pain was unlike anything we'd ever experienced. We felt alone. A few nights after Owen died, my wife stayed up for hours scouring the scriptures for hope and comfort. She finally fell asleep more discouraged than ever because she found none. Of course it was there, 
But when we are in the depths of pain, we often can't see it, let alone feel it. Is that right? That's right. So the people that Isaiah is addressing here in chapter 50 is believers in Israel who are in a time of walking in the darkness of trials and hardships and difficulties before they've seen the light of God's deliverance break in. That's who he's addressing. Now, what does Isaiah tell them? This is an amazing passage. What does Isaiah tell believers when Israel, when we find ourselves in those times of darkness? First, he tells them that when we're in the darkness, the words of God's servant will sustain us. This is amazing. Look at verses 4 and 5. Now, these are interesting verses because these verses are spoken When you read the context, it's not God the Father speaking, and it's not Isaiah speaking, it's somebody else speaking. Look at verses 4 and 5. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary, the one who's walking in darkness, not seeing the light, so, so I can sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. Who's talking here? Who's talking? Now, the Bible authors, they don't want to leave us in the dark. Okay, In the context of passages, these kinds of questions are almost always answered. And I just kept reading, and I came down to verse 10, and I saw, here's where Isaiah lets us know who's talking in verses 4 through 9. Look at verse 10. He says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? So the one who's just been speaking, the voice that they're to be obeying is the voice of his servant. So the person speaking in verses 4 through 9 is someone called the servant. Does that ring any bells with you from what we've read so far in Isaiah? All through the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has told us about, has told Israel about someone who one day would be on the earth who is absolutely amazing. Okay? Chapter 7, verse 14. What was true of him? Born of a virgin. All right? Fully man, in other words. Chapter 9, his name will be called Mighty God. It's not just fully man, born of a virgin. He is also fully God, chapter 9. Chapter 11, this amazing person will be born of the line of David, and he'll end up bringing peace to the whole world. Then in chapter 42... He's called the servant, the servant of the Lord who's going to bring salvation to the nations, bring recovery of sight to the blind, and free captives from their prisons. Chapter 49, we just looked at this two weeks ago. This servant will not just bring salvation to Israel, but will bring God's salvation to every ethnic group. And then what we're going to read in a few weeks, Isaiah 53, a passage probably most of you are familiar with, this servant is going to suffer. God is going to crush him, God the Father is going to crush this servant in punishment for our sins and then raise him from the dead. Okay, so the servant who's speaking in verses 4 through 9 is this same one who's been talked about all through the book of Isaiah. So who is it? It's Jesus, okay? Jesus Christ is who this servant is. Jesus didn't start existing 2,000 years ago when he was born in Bethlehem. He has existed as the Son of God from eternity past. He had always been. And here in this passage, now get this, this is kind of a mind tweak. Here in this passage we see that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, 
wants to talk to believers in the nation of Israel to bring them sustaining words when they're going through a time of darkness. Jesus is talking to the nation of Israel back in the book of Isaiah. Don't you love that? And he wants to sustain them. So what Isaiah wants us to get here is that when Israel, when you are in a time of darkness, with trials where you know what God promises, but you're not seeing all the promises fulfilled yet, God's servant, Jesus Christ, has words that he will, will sustain you with. That's what he wants us to see. Okay, so... What does the servant say then to sustain us during trials? What does he say? It's shocking. Look at verse 6. It says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. What's he talking about? Here Jesus is telling nation of Israel, those who are in darkness with trials, about the sufferings that he's going to go through when he comes to the earth. Do you see the parallels? Do we have the scriptures, the Matthew verses here? Look at the parallels between what he just said in verse 6 and Matthew 26, 67. Can we get that up there? See if you guys can. Oh, good, thank you. Then they spit in his face and struck him and some slapped him. Back to verse 6 of Isaiah. I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Matthew twenty-seven twenty-six. Then he, speaking of Pilate, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus. You know what scourging is? That's where your back is just torn open by this whip, which is embedded with nails and pieces of metal. And it's just, it's absolutely horrifying. Having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. So here Jesus says to these believing Israelites who are in a time of darkness, he describes to them the suffering that he's going to experience. But now notice the language that Jesus uses to describe this. You might think that Jesus was a tragic victim of events beyond his control when he suffered. Not so. Did you catch that in verse 6? We're back at Isaiah now. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike. I gave my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. In other words, at every moment, Jesus is giving himself to the suffering that God had ordained for him. Right? He's willing, willing to suffer. Just like Matthew said. Remember Matthew says that at any moment, Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels And his suffering would have been over. Just like that. So at every moment of Jesus' suffering, from the Garden of Gethsemane all the way through until he says it is finished, at any moment he could have called a halt to the whole thing. Which means that at every moment he was choosing to go ahead. Right? He was not a passive Victim. He wasn't a tragic victim of events beyond his control. He, at every moment, was giving himself to this horrifying suffering. Now, why would Jesus do that? We're going to read about it in Isaiah 53. Why would the servant of the Lord do this? Why would the Messiah choose to let scourging come to him? Choose to let a crown of thorns be pushed upon his head? Choose to let nails be driven through his hands and feet? Choose to spend six hours... In suffering that was so intense, he, I'm sure he just screaming. We can read about it until his voice was just gone. Why? 
It's because that was God's means, the Father's means, of having our sin be punished so we wouldn't need to be punished for our sin. When you bend your knee before Jesus Christ and put your trust in Him, at that moment, all of your sins, past, present, future, were put upon Jesus and punished in Jesus. And Jesus' perfect moral goodness as the God-man is given to you as a gift. So right now, as the Father looks at me, and as the Father looks at you who are trusting Jesus Christ, He sees you as clothed with Jesus' perfect moral righteousness. And he's running to you with love and compassion and care. That's what happens when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus chose at every moment to go ahead and to go ahead and to go ahead. That's why Jesus would suffer. But but now, back to Isaiah 50 verse 6. Here Jesus is describing his sufferings, again, to the nation of Israel because they're going through a time of suffering and he wants them to see his sufferings as an example. Their sufferings are like his sufferings, not in paying for sin. Only Jesus' sufferings pay for sin. But he wants to help them understand that just like Jesus submitted to the sufferings God had ordained for him, they should submit willingly to the sufferings God had ordained for them. That's the first sustaining word the servant wants to speak to Israel and to us. The first sustaining word which will help us in the trials we're in. When God ordains trials for you, humbly submit to them. Now, just some fine print here. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to suffer. Nothing wrong with praying that suffering will stop. Remember Paul's thorn in the flesh described in 2 Corinthians 12? How many times did he pray that it would go away? Three times. And the word for prayer there isn't just like once, take it away, two, take it away, three, take it away. It's a very earnest, it sounds like it's a lengthy process of God, Father, please, take this from me. And it didn't go. And that was the first time. And then maybe the next day, another, another earnest session of prayer. So there's nothing wrong with praying for suffering to go. There's nothing wrong with taking appropriate steps to have suffering cease, like Paul was lured out of a basket to escape possible persecution in Damascus, I think it was, or going to a doctor. All these things are part of God's plan to relieve us from many sufferings. But there are times, aren't there, when we've prayed and we've used the God-ordained means, and it's clear that God has ordained suffering. Right? We see that. And what Jesus wants Israel to understand, and what he wants us to understand is just like he gave himself to the suffering God had ordained for him, we should humbly submit ourselves to the suffering that God ordains for us. That's the first thing he says. Why now? Look at verses 7 through 9. Here's the second sustaining word he brings. He says, but the Lord God helps me. (laughs) Don't you love that? Oh, man. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me, God the Father, is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who's my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? 
Behold, all of them, all the suffering, all the people that are oppressing me, will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. So here's the second truth that the servant, Jesus the servant, wants to bring to his people during those times when they're walking in darkness. The first was, when you can see that God has ordained suffering for you, humbly submit to it. And then the second truth is right here in verses 7 through 9, keep trusting. Keep trusting that God is near. Keep trusting that he will help you. Keep trusting that he will ultimately vindicate you. These are precious words. Saints, aren't they? These are amazing words because I don't know about you. This is probably true for you too, but I know when I go through some of the little suffering that I've gone through, relatively little on the suffering Richter scale, but still doesn't make any difference. It's my suffering. And I can immediately start to think God's left me. Right? God's left me. Because if God was here, I wouldn't be suffering. Right? Wrong. I hope we see that from this passage. That's absolutely wrong. Here, the servant is suffering. God is near. Did you catch that right there in verse 8? He who vindicates me is near. God is near to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit, near to all who call upon him. So you're calling upon him, and even if you can't feel it, when you're in that time of walking in darkness, not yet seeing the light, God the Father is near. He's near to sustain you. He's near to comfort you. He's near to guide you and give you wisdom. He's near to strengthen you. And he will ultimately deliver you. But don't ever conclude from trials that God is not near, that he's abandoned you, that he's forsaken you. He's near. And that's what Jesus, the servant, wants us to understand. Keep trusting that God will be near to you, is near to you, will help you, and will ultimately vindicate you. So keep trusting God and set your face like flint to keep trusting God. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I will not be Disgraced, have not been disgraced. So those are the words in verses 4 through 9 that the servant, Jesus Christ, in 700 BC, speaks to his people, the nation of Israel, believers in Israel, who are going through a time of darkness because they're not yet seeing the light of the fulfillment of God's promises. And these are the truths he'd want to say to us as well. Now, at this point, it seems that the Holy Spirit gives Isaiah something that he wants Isaiah to say to Israel. There's one more crucial truth for Israel and for us, and it's what what we must avoid during those times of darkness, what we must avoid during those times of trial. Look first at verse 10. And here Isaiah repeats what Jesus has already said. He says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servants? Let him who walks in darkness, the darkness of trials and has no light, that is, sees no deliverance yet, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So that's just a repetition there of what Jesus the servant said in verses 7 through 9. But now look at what he says in verse 11. It's a strange verse. Verse 11. Behold, all you who kindle a fire... Okay, so... He's talking to people walking in darkness. He's people walking in darkness. So you're, you're in darkness. All you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you've kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Okay, what's going on here? All right. 
Well, again, notice that last line, you shall lie down in torment. What that shows is that this kindling of a fire and this equipping yourselves with burning torches, that's not a good thing. In other words, what, what Isaiah is talking about here is that there's ways to get relief during times of darkness. There's ways to pursue relief during times of trial that are against God's will that he doesn't want you to pursue. You can try to create your own little light source. Okay, God's not coming through for me. I'm going to create my own little light source. Now, let me try to explain this, and then we'll open it up for some questions here in a moment, and you can, can ask some questions and dig this deeper. When you're in the midst of a trial, there are steps you can take to get relief that are in sync with God's will. Right? It's very appropriate. It's right to do. Keep praying. Keep applying for jobs. Keep, 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 keep at it. You're looking for work. Okay, well, you can keep prayerfully looking for... Applying for jobs. Or if you're sick, you can prayerfully go to the doctor. That's, that's in God's will. These things are in God's will. You're feeling empty? You can open up God's word. You can put on the worship music on your iPod. You can, there's things you can do that are in sync with God's will. Okay. Um, if you feel absolutely hopeless, gather your home group together. Pray with me. Pray for me. There's things that you can do that are in sync with God's will that God can use to relieve you from the darkness that you're in. Right? But there's also things that you can do that are not in sync with God's will. Right? When we're in the darkness of trials, when it just looks dark, and you don't see any light of, of the promises being fulfilled yet, isn't it tempting to turn from God and try to come up with your own light? Isn't that a tempting thing to try to do? To turn from trusting God and to try to get relief in ways that go against His will, like, like stealing to get money. Obvious, right? Or lying on the job application because you're getting desperate to find a job. Or escaping just from the, the pain with porn. Or shopping. Or too much TV, right? Just escaping. Or, or self-medicating yourself without drugs or too much food or too much drink. These are all ways that we can turn from trusting God and try to create our own light sources. Can you, can you think of what do you turn to when you're going through a hard time that's not in sync with God's will? Can you list your top three? I can list my top three, four, five, okay? We all have them. Y'all look like you're just like not connecting with this at all. Are you just like a, I'm not going to call on you, but can you? Right? Yeah, okay, right, right, right. Can you all understand what are things that you turn to away from the Lord to try to get relief when you're going through those, those dark, hard, difficult times? That's what Isaiah is talking about here in this passage. So Isaiah says, don't try to get relief in ways that are against God's will. Don't turn from trusting God and try to create your own light. Instead, trust in the name of the Lord. It's like he says in verse 10, let him who walks in darkness and has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Trust that as you take the steps he lays out in his word, you're faithful to him, you're praying, you're walking with him, you're not perfect, you're covered in Jesus' perfect goodness, washed by his blood, but you're here before him. Help me, help me, I'm trusting you. Help me, I'm feeling weak. Help me. God is near to you at those times. God will help you at those times. And ultimately, God will vindicate you at those times. Okay? Now, what, what, what questions does this stir up?
So what should we do at those times when we think, yikes, I'm in verse, I'm in verse 11. Lie down in torment. That does not sound good. All right, so what should I do? What, what, should, what should we do? Because we all fall into that, don't we? What should we do? Repent. Repent. Turn back to the Lord. Forgive me. And what will he do? Forgive you. Forgive you. <laughs> he'll, he'll start running towards you before you've just... Okay? Because he's full of mercy. He's, he's sent Jesus to pay for sins. He wants you to turn. So there's never a good reason not to turn back. Okay? The moment we become aware of it, turn. There are times, uh, I think probably every believer will experience this, when you are seeking the Lord and you're not yet finding. Right? Seeking comfort, seeking peace, seeking His presence, and you're not yet finding. Psalm 42, I think, addresses that kind of a situation. Psalm 43, Psalm 13 also. Those are Some of the Psalms are written at a time when the psalmist is right there. He is asking God to meet. Psalm 42, he says to himself, "Why?" verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. I will. I'm not there yet, but I will. So soul, hope in God. I love the Psalms because they're just brutally honest. There will be times when you're seeking God and you're not yet finding what he promises to give. And see, even... Even the timing of the seeming delay is lovingly crafted by God to refine us, to enlarge our capacity, to experience even more what he's ultimately going to give to us. There's all kinds of benefits that come. And and even at those times, he's near. He's near. I wanted to intentionally put that quote up there that she spent an evening late in the morning looking and she didn't find any because I just, I just want to kind of shake some of you with the reality of that. But then remember what Dustin said, not that it's not there, but that when we're going through hard times, it's hard to see it, let alone feel it. Right? So I, it's, I hope this is hope-giving to some of you who thought, I was alone, I'm the only one who experiences this kind of darkness, you're not alone, you're not the only one. Jesus did, Dustin and and Kelly Shramick did. I do. But when you're in that place, you say to yourself, hope in God. I will again praise Him for the help of His presence. I mean, how many of you have had to persist for a fairly lengthy period of time? We won't say how, just, but had to persist in seeking the Lord, and then, yes, you did find, ultimately. I mean, that's just how it is, right? But if, if, you, if you give it a minute, or you give it an hour, I don't know, just, I don't know, God's timing is flawless and perfect. And it's out of his love for you. And even when you're not finding what you're hoping for, he's, he's there, he's near, he's helping. It's all part of his good holy process. Is that helpful? Yes. Not that we, we, we don't really have quick answers here, because we're with you, man. We, we all, we all, do, we, do we all experience that? Can we tell our brother, do we all experience that? Yes. yes. Do Christians experience that? Yes. Okay, let's make sure. All right, good. Okay. That's a good question. I mean, some are obvious, right? Don't lie in your job application. Don't steal money to take care of your bills. Those are really obvious ones. But there's other things that are, I mean, there, there, there's a way to look for work that we're relying on yourself, right? So how do you tell the difference? Let me just throw it out because you may have, I mean, let's just, how do you, okay, Jim? Pardon? Run it through the book. Run it through the book? Yeah. Okay. What was it over here? Natasha? I agree. It 
Yeah. Okay. So run it through the word. I mean, just one example for me. This, you know, when the church was first getting started, I worked in real estate to pay the bills, and there were times, and and I was knocking on doors trying to get clients, and there were times when I was knocking on doors and I was strike because we were in the darkness of no money. Okay, <laughs> and and there were times when I was knocking on doors and I could tell I was grinding, I was striving, I had an edge to my voice. I needed to get a client. I got to make some money, you know, and and that was trying to light my own fire. There were other times when I was knocking on doors saying, Lord. You've called me to do this. You've called me to San Jose. You've promised to provide for our needs. You're going to use this afternoon's door knocking to take care of us. And there was a freedom and a peace. And so very often it comes down to a heart issue. Am I relying on the Lord or am I just grinding out something and hoping it'll happen? So the word, your heart, those are the ways that that I think. Any other way to discern that you found helpful? Your anxiety level is a dead giveaway, isn't it? Mine is too. Okay. That's a, yes. Am, am I talking to the Father, or am I just doing, 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 doing? Right. That's a huge difference. Okay. All right. And ooh, yeah. Yes, that helps because they they can see the blind spots when I can't sometimes. Yes. Yes. That's Jeremiah two eleven through thirteen. Definitely. Hey, let me give you a, a quote where Dustin Tremick ended up. Okay, can we get that up there? Remember, we left him with his wife not finding any hope and help, and here's where they ended up. When we are in the pit of despair, we must look around and see that only God can bring us out. There is no other hope. And what's more is that God himself is committed to bringing us out. He says, yes, the night is long, and the weeping intense, but the morning is coming. And as we wait for the coming dawn, which ultimately is the return of the Son of God, God God meets us in, in between, but also that's the ultimate deliverance from every trial, we can know that we're not alone. Jesus himself endured the long night of weeping, and God promises to carry us even when we don't feel his arms around us. So Dustin and Kelly... God sustained them, God helped them, God blessed them. But it was, a, it, was, it was a time of walking in darkness. But God was near. God did meet them. God did sustain them. So here's what I want to encourage you with. First of all, some of you, I would guess in a group this size, you, you do not know Jesus Christ yet. You haven't, you haven't come to know him. You haven't bent the knee before him and received him into your life as your Savior and as your Lord and as your treasure. And that's when, and, and you're in the dark, you're walking in darkness, and you haven't met the Lord Jesus. So I just want to plead with you. Do you see who Jesus wants to be to you right now, during this time when you're walking in darkness? He wants to sustain you. He died on the cross to pay for all of your sins so that you could be forgiven and clothed with his righteousness. And the moment you receive him into your life, you will be completely forgiven. And you will be clothed with his righteousness. And you will experience him sustaining you and helping you and being near to you in this time of darkness and in every time of darkness. And you'll be with God the Father now through the rest of your life and and in heaven forever. So if you don't know Jesus Christ and you're walking in a time of darkness, turn to receive him now, right now. You can leave here changed. 
He will right now meet you. We'd love to pray with you afterwards if, if that's where you're at. Others of you, you have friends who are walking in darkness who don't know Jesus Christ. You can think of it. Maybe a neighbor, uh, maybe somebody at the workplace, maybe a, a wayward child, a medical issue, financial pressures, divorce, difficulties like that. You know someone who's in a time of darkness. They don't know Jesus. And I would encourage you, call them up this afternoon or talk to them at work tomorrow. Invite them out for coffee and share this passage with them. Just tell them, listen to what Jesus Christ promises to do for people when they're walking in darkness and in a point of difficulty. Share the good news of the gospel, the cross, the resurrection, his sustaining of us. And then some of you here right now who know Christ, you are walking in darkness right now too. And I just want to encourage you, don't try to create your own light. Don't turn from trusting God to make your own deliverance. Take all the biblical approaches to deliverance. Pray, apply for jobs, whatever it might be. But trust the Lord. He's near. He's right there with you. He will help you. And ultimately, he will vindicate you. Let's pray together. Go ahead and stand. Let me just pray this over us. Father, I pray for your power to come right now. We're at all different places. Some of us here know you through Jesus, and some of us don't. And I just pray, Father, that you'd be moving upon every single one of us here right now with your power, especially those those who who are walking in darkness, Lord. Right now, bring your power. You are near. You are here to help. Forgiveness is available through Jesus Christ. All the sustaining we need can be ours through Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that you would move with power upon us right now, that we would turn to you and receive all that you have for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.